Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Dr. James Carroll, and our topic is the presidency of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Uh, Dr. Carroll, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Thank you, Dr. Gray. It's a joy to be with you today. Let me tell you about James. Dr. James Carroll has served as lead pastor of Parkway Baptist Church in Bardstown since 2010. He has served as the KBC chairman of several committees, including uh, the administrative committee most recently, and a member of the mission board. Dr. Carroll is also the author of Collateral Damage and co-author of of, uh, several other books. Uh, My favorite has been uh, Facing Snarls and Scowls, a book about, about preaching. Uh, he is a friend of me and a friend of Kentucky Baptist. So, James, let's let's jump right in with these questions. We just finished the annual meeting in Bowling Green, 185th meeting of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. What are some of your takeaways from the meeting? Well, we're in a cultural moment with so much tension and strife and outrage and animosity. And it's just a sweet spirit in the building yesterday uh, to be there with Kentucky Baptist. There's so much to be united about. Of course, our common purpose in the gospel um, just seemed to love each other and enjoy one another's company. And it really was. I was talking to some of our staff who are there, just like a family reunion of people that we've known throughout the state in different ways over the decades to gather together. So there really is a sweet spirit. I think my, probably my biggest takeaway um, is the, the environment, the atmosphere among Kentucky Baptists right now, just encouraged by it. James, I agree with that and, and heard others say the same thing, like a family reunion without the crazy uncles, you know, fighting over <laughs> over something. And folks who don't really understand our work, we do these things every year called resolutions, which are non-binding statements about various issues and cultural life. And um, we folks can bring a friendly amendment, but if you've been around that very long, those amendments do not always sound very, very friendly, but they really were friendly. I mean, we had three friendly amendments. They were very friendly and the way they were brought was incredibly, incredibly friendly. It takes a a spirit of humility to bring them the right way and to receive them the right way. And I think that was on display. Of course, Dr. Best encouraged us with that truth as he preached yesterday. And I think it was on display in the way the Resolutions Committee did their work and the way it was received. It was a great meeting. It was great to hear the reports. Dr. Chitwood preached just an incredible message. And of course, you were elected as the, the next president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. You're cur- you're serving in that role right now. Your work started at the end of the day yesterday when the you you tapped us out with the with the gavel. So, um what what is a KBC president and is there uh, has there been one in the past that was particularly inspiring to you? Well, I got my binder yesterday before I left the platform. Yep. So, I had work to do and I've been busy this morning trying to fulfill these responsibilities. It's great privilege. To so when you say your binder, James, folks really don't understand that you, I mean, you really got a three ring notebook that you took home with you that talked about your responsibilities and some things that need to actually get done today. That's right. Been working on some of the, uh, the appointments for committee chair persons, even today, putting those lists together and something I hope to get done by the end of the week. So yes, yeah. there's work immediately to be done. Yeah. And it's a great privilege and joy to get served that way. You asked about previous presidents. Uh, you know, there have been so many that have impacted me. You know, the most recent ones, Dr. Best, Dr. Fowler, um, uh, Chad Fugit, and, and even you know, before that, th- those men, uh, Dan Summerlin and, and Charles Frazier and Andrew Dyer, I mean, those are instrumental just in my life as, as friends in the ministry and encouragement to me. Uh, but the two guys yesterday that were with us um, that have been particularly impactful to me in ministry, uh, Dr. Chitwood, who you mentioned, 
Um, he was a pastor in this association, my association, yeah. when I arrived and befriended me. So this was before he was executive director, treasurer at the KBC and uh, was a friend and a brother. And then, of course, Dr. York, who's been instrumental in my life since I was in seminary and um, and, and of course led in my nomination. Wasn't able to be there yesterday, but led in it. And we've had lots of conversations over the last few months. If I was elected, what it would mean and um, things that he learned you know, in his role as KBC president and things that he would commend to me. So those two guys probably stick out more than any others as uh, as influencing the way I'll view KBC presidency. James, uh, sometimes words like elitism are thrown about, SBC insiders. And um, w- when we see Dr. Paul Chitwood and Dr. Herschel York, two names that you that you mentioned, and know their stories. I mean, my goodness, they've grown up in Kentucky Baptist life. They pastor churches here in, in Kentucky. There's, there, there aren't, in, there aren't many more people more influential than those two men. And there aren't, in, there, there's not anyone that's just more rank and file Southern Baptist and Kentucky Baptist than those, those two, those two guys. If you know the places that they were raised and served, if you've been over Jellicoe sure. Mountain and yep. know where Dr. Chitwood is from, and to see the way he served faithfully in different. kinds of churches and Dr. York too. Yeah. These are faithful brothers. I love telling Dr. Chitwood's story because he tells it and it's been in print about um, two deacons from Jellicoe First Baptist that came and knocked on the door of his single dad's house and invited that family to church. And the family went and then um, the pastor came over to share the gospel with an older brother and Paul, a little younger, heard the message and he got saved. And just from from there on, God's work in in, in their life. That's man, that's just who we are as as Southern Baptists. And then to see how God's used Southern Baptists to build these institutions that we have and the work that we get to do together is is really fun to fun to watch. Same as you can tell, my reference to Jellicoe Mountain. I've heard that story too. It's been impactful yeah. to me. I think it represents perfectly who we are as Kentucky Baptists and Southern Baptists. So we just finished uh, national political elections where folks actually run for office and spend a lot of money uh, doing it. You did not run for the office uh, as uh, for the role of president of Kentucky Baptist Convention, but someone reached out to you at some point and asked if you had an openness to being considered and you agreed to be considered. And so why why so? Why were you open to this this role? So it was Dr. Fowler who actually made the nomination yesterday who reached out to me originally and I had the privilege of serving with and under Dr. Fowler's leadership when he was KBC president. And I trust him and I respect him. So when he calls, I answer. And when I answer, I'm generally inclined to do what he asks me to do. In this case, of course, my wife and I prayed about it and talked about it. Our elders here at the church talked and prayed about it. And I reached out to the folks you know, in my life who've been instrumental in helping me find wisdom in making decisions. And when it seemed like all of them were affirming that this is something that the Lord might be providing uh, for me to do. It's really the decision-making process. And I love Kentucky Baptists. This was said yesterday by more than one person. Um, but I'm I'm not only Kentucky Baptist. I'm a product of Kentucky Baptists. So along with my parents, Kentucky Baptists introduced me to Christ and discipled me, Sunday school, Bible drills, training union, RAs, and then saw gifts for ministry and poured into my life to disciple me and, and to train me informally in lots of ways. Gave me my first opportunities to preach, to preach, licensed me for ministry. And then, of course, through Southern Seminary, Kentucky Baptist trained me for vocational ministry. So when Kentucky Baptists call, I'm inclined to say yes, if there's any way that I can do it. And so it's my great honor and privilege to do this. And um, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, no, you're talking about, so you're talking about Steve Rice as a former pastor, exactly uh, right. Don and Tommy Reed as exactly uh, youth leaders who poured into your life and, and have loved you. And the names could just go on and on, folks that have been in Kentucky Baptist churches and, of course, still are. And then, and then James, just those church members that you get to serve alongside of, man, those are the folks that, that their example and their life and their love, it, it's, uh, God uses that for our sanctification. That's exactly right. Again, I'm a product of Kentucky Baptist um, believers in what we consider to be regular, ordinary churches, yep. faithfully living their lives and investing in the local church and investing in people in the local church and doing what the Lord has called us to do, make disciples of all nations. And for most Kentucky Baptists, that'll include uh, living in a spot in the world that is somewhat obscure and doing it to the glory of God. And so I'm so thankful for it and the privilege and uh, the honor to lead in some way. Uh, is is overwhelming. So just to, just to be clear, it's not a paid position; it's a volunteer position. Right. There are no there are no insurance or benefits or four hundred one k that comes with this role. You're still the pastor of Parkway Baptist Baptist right. Church. So, um, what do you hope to see happen during your? It's a one year term, uh, unless you quit or something else happens, which we pray and trust that won't be the case. What do you hope to see happen during your tenure? Well. Uh, in one regard, given the the men I mentioned earlier that have served this convention well over the last couple of decades, especially you know as I've seen them, um, part of what I hope to accomplish is not to drop the baton they're handing me because they've done so well and been so faithful in it. So I want to continue that. The spirit of the meeting that we had yesterday is indicative of their leadership, and so I hope to continue to spur us on to that sort of thing. Um, but even beyond that, I think first and foremost, I want to champion the cause of our cooperative effort to evangelize people all over the world, across the Commonwealth and around the world. I mean, this is who we are as Southern Baptists, that we have doctrinal alignment that allows us to have cooperation in missions. And we need to champion that cause. I mean, there, there are billions of lost people in the world who need to hear the gospel. And the work of Kentucky Baptist is an important part of that. It's not all of it, but it's an important part of it. And as you know, Dr. Chitwood told, told us yesterday, we, we crossed the 8 billion mark so three plus billion have little or no access to the gospel. Um, 4,000 people groups, little or no access to the gospel. And we have the resources. God's actually given us now as International Mission Board resources to send more missionaries, you know, to raise them up and send them out. I think the, the ordinary things that we have been, or the things we've been challenged to do, that I've been challenged to do since I was a little kid, that the Southern Baptists have been doing, that we pray for missions. Uh, Matthew 9 prayers, that the... the Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, will you raise up and send out laborers into the harvest? And if we're not praying for missions, it's either arrogance or it's laziness, or maybe a combination of both. And so we need to be praying um, that God would continue to do this work. And we need to give. <laughs> we need to financially leverage the resources that God has entrusted to us for the global cause. And there are, there are quotes from, from Lottie Moon, old quotes that have been in, impactful to me. Uh, one cannot help asking, sadly, why is the love of gold more potent than the love of souls? We have to be reminded that it's our privilege to give so that others may take the gospel. And then, of course, we have to go. We have to send. Um, we need to be training and discipling our young people in a culture that values going to the nations. So we, 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 we will convince some of them when they turn 19 or 20 or 21 to forsake the comfort and ease of living here and go to the nations. But for the most part, often we'll sow those seeds in them when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, when yeah. we give them a vision for what the world wow. uh, needs, which, of course, is the gospel. And so I want to 
champion the cause that's been championed for all these years, these decades. And James, we heard yesterday uh, the, the um, number of churches in Kentucky without pastors, most of those being bivocational, uh, led by bivocational pastor. Would it be great if our 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 key folks in Kentucky Baptist churches were praying that their own sons, uh, their own sons would answer the call to pastor churches, their daughters would answer the call to serve the Lord in some kind of a vocational way that we would really be asking, not that we send out more lawyers and doctors, those are needed, and we need Christian ones as well, but that we would be sending out preachers and children's workers and and missionaries from our churches that, I mean, the, the, the students that are going to fill our seminaries are going to come from Kentucky Baptist churches. The missionaries on the field have got to come up from, from Kentucky Baptist churches. And boy, it seems, it seems wise as you're saying to pray hard toward, toward that end. Amen. Amen. And create a culture that values that and that yeah. celebrates it, right? The culture will value what you celebrate. So as Kentucky Baptist churches, you have to celebrate when God raises them up and sends them out. Well, that's so good. What you what you celebrate, you replicate. So when you think about the condition of our state convention, our national SBC convention, and our work together, uh, what do you think needs attention? Well, there are, at the state and national level, there are some things that overlap, and there are uh, some things I think that are, that are specific to one or the other. Um, but there's several. I'll mention a couple. One, um, there's a study that came out this year in March. Barna did a research study. I don't know if you've seen this or not. And they asked about 500 Protestant pastors, so pretty good sample size. And it said 42% of pastors that answered the survey had seriously considered quitting vocational ministry in the last 12 months. 42%. So you told us yesterday that there, any given moment, there are about 200 churches without pastors in the state of Kentucky. So that would be from 2,400 down to 2,200 so by the numbers of those 2,200 pastors, if 42% considered laying it down, yeah. that's about 900. Wow. So at any given moment, there could be as many as 1,100 churches without pastors in the state of Kentucky if those pastors actually did quit the ministry. And so there's a bit of a crisis that's taking place. Uh, and, that, and what's worse about that number is not just that it's 42%, but that it's up in 14 months. They did the survey in 2021, and it was 29%. And then when they did the survey again, it was at 42%. So that number's jumped by 13%. So pastors need to be encouraged and they need to continue to be encouraged and equipped for the ministry to which they're called. And so I think a, a part of what we need to do is strengthen pastors to labor faithfully. And there's a piece of this that is equipping them for the work that they'll do. And I'm, I'm an advocate for theological education, for sure. I believe in it. I participated in it. And encourage you know our our young ones who are called to ministry in that direction, but our seminaries are not equipping our pastors sufficiently for pastoral ministry. And this is no insult to them; they're not trying to. They're trying to do a theological piece for which we're thankful, and we we can't do that part as well as they can. Right. But there is a practical part of this that we have to equip the and encourage these pastors to persevere in it. We have to give them a theology of suffering before they yep. get there to realize how difficult it's going to be. And the top two reasons that these pastors gave for wanting to quit, the stress of the job and the feeling of loneliness. So doesn't that tell us something about the challenges these pastors are facing? And so part of what we need to do is encourage pastors. And, and there are a lot of bigger or uh, there are a lot of issues that get more attention on a national level. And there are controversies. That's why I sort of hesitate when you ask the question. Yeah, right. We can talk about those. But I think yeah. this is a bigger crisis for us. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree, James. That's what you're saying is huge. Um, and so, you know, we had a video from Ben Mandrell yesterday. He had a quote. I don't know if you noticed it or not. Where uh, a smooth a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. When he when he said that in that video, I thought, man alive, God is raising up some pastors today through challenges to make them ready for what's coming. I mean, we're 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 about to face a cult, some cultural challenges. I think like we've never seen before. They're coming at an exponential rate, faster and faster and faster. The culture's coming at us. We're needing to raise up uh, persecution-proof disciples, but the pastors have to get ready first. And COVID's probably helped us do that. Um, I love what you said about stress and loneliness. We, it seems like we need to normalize the stress of ministry. We can't take it away. Um, and we, and we need to end the loneliness. The loneliness can be dealt with through good fellowship and good relationships. And you work hard in that area yourself. It's been a key instrument in my own life that the Lord has used is friendship with faithful pastors who've encouraged me over the last decade. Plus, um, you know, I was getting text messages last night from faithful brothers I served with 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. They're just friends of mine in ministry yeah. and in life. And the Lord has used that to sustain me. And pastoral ministry is stressful. We're not going to take that out. We're not trying to remove that. That's part of, of what it is. But the Lord has also given us means of grace to persevere. And we need to know what those are and lay hold of those uh, by faith. So. A bull rider knows what he's getting into when he gets on the back of a bull. You know, he's expecting this is not going to be an easy, an easy ride. I'm not sure folks going into gospel uh, church ministry really understand they're hopping on the back of a bull and there's going to be some real challenges. It's just it's going to be tough enough just to hang on. I, I went into the ministry with what I would call um, a Southern Baptist version of the prosperity gospel for pastors. Yeah. Now, it wasn't that if I if I preach, then I'll be rich or if I preach and faithfully minister, uh, then I'll never get sick and will never have any trial or circumstance. But there was this idea that if I did this faithfully, that the Lord would bless the church, we would have unity, and we would have numeric increase, and all of the things that you would want. And so it was, a, again, a sort of a Southern Baptist baptized version of the prosperity gospel applied. And a lot of young pastors have that idea. Yeah. And and there and there will be. I mean, faithfulness and fruitfulness, right? Our responsibility is faithfulness. God's responsible That's for the right. fruitfulness. I mean, you've been at Parkway twelve years, and you're you're seeing some fruitfulness now. That's come from years of of, of labor. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight tells us there's going to be fruit. Galatians six nine tells us there's going to be fruit. Um, the, the the parable of the soils tells us there's going to be some fruit, uh, some false fruit, and some some sure. some real sure. some real fruit. But man, hanging in there can sure be difficult, can't it? Well, that's right. And we have to measure fruit the right way. And yeah. so sometimes the fruit will be outward and you can see it in the moment. And sometimes it will be faithfulness in the person you discipled, who in a decade, you know, it was, I think I heard Mark Dever say, sometimes the seed um, won't germinate and, from the ground until you're in the ground. You know, he wow, said, yeah. Better than that. But it's the idea that the fruit will come. God will keep that promise absolutely every time, but we may not see it. And so sometimes the fruit is sending, and sometimes the fruit is discipling, where yeah. the, you won't you won't be able to see it. But it's about faithfulness, and, and I think we attach sometimes the ability to see the fruit with uh, the promise of it, and so a, a better understanding of what ministry is. And I don't think they can give you that at the seminary level. It must be given, I think, at the local church level. It's the part of the the training of pastors that we can play. Yeah. And James, for for you know, in our in our uh, context, uh, the local church for the pastor to pastor strengthening part, uh, the local church serves a role, but also your local association. You're part of a great association in in Nelson, 
association, your state convention plays a role. You mentioned brothers from other places, and our, our national convention can, but there are a lot of challenges. We have to learn to care well for each other. We're not in competition. We're in cooperation. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And that's just part of Christian maturity, isn't it? Yes. The spirit of competition instead of cooperation yeah. is an obstacle for us as Southern yeah. Baptists. Yeah. yeah. In comparison, it's, uh, you know, the devil uses comparison, I think, for all of us. We look at somebody else's field and think it's better. Well, James, the KBC is made up of a diverse populace of churches and church leaders. I was really heartened yesterday when uh, French Harmon from the Baptist Foundation asked the 40-year-olds and below to stand up. I didn't know how many were there, but man, I was amazed at the number at our, our gathering. You know, there are a lot of senior adults and folks, I'm not quite senior. I'm getting closer to senior. In fact, my coffee cup says, uh, you're old, get over it. Connie got me this for my birthday. But uh, man, I was really heartened. So you think about our diversity, it's different than some other places, but we are diverse in other ways. How do you how do you describe Kentucky Baptist to someone who may not understand our, our work? I'm thankful that Kentucky Baptists represent Kentucky. There, there was this, um, t- there was a time in church planting when people tried to plant churches that were geared toward a certain niche. They tried to, to plan a church that would attract a certain kind of person. And I appreciate the heart behind it. I mean, that's a longer conversation, another episode, if you will. Yeah. But what I'm grateful for in Kentucky, I think you see this reflected, is the Kentucky Baptist Church has just reached Kentuckians. Yeah. And when you drive through a town in Kentucky, you're going to see young and old. You're going to see those who are um, you know, socially different. You're going to see socioeconomically different. And, uh, and by and large, Kentucky Baptists look like they're communities. And you see that represented in the annual meeting. You see folks who are younger and folks who are older. And I'm thankful for that. I think part of that, again, I keep harping on it, but the spirit of cooperation that we have as Kentucky Baptist is it feels unique when you listen to the conversations that are happening on a national level. And I hope it's not, but it's certainly something to be celebrated. Yeah, it, it very, very encouraging. So under your leadership at Parkway, uh, the church has uh, substantially increased its cooperative program giving. Could you take a minute to explain what, what the cooperative program is to folks who may not know and why and not only your CP giving, but your missions giving overall. Wes shared the numbers yesterday, and I think the church went from 1.9 in CP to 5% of undesignated uh, receipts, and then up to from 4% of total missions to 16% of your undesignated receipts. Uh, what is CP or cooperative program, and why was it important to you to give leadership to that? So our the corporate program is the Southern Baptist effort to partner together to do missions primarily. Of course, it, it started out of the, the desire to send missionaries around the world and across our nation. And so the corporate program began as a way for churches, many of whom could not fund a single missionary or certainly take responsibility for theological education, but it was a way for them to partner with other churches to be able to do that. So the agencies and institutions at the center of the cooperative program, of course, are the International Mission Board, which receives the most money, and then the North American Mission Board, and their efforts are to plant churches and resource missionaries in North America and, of course, around the world. And then our six seminaries are funded through the cooperative program, and our state conventions are funded through the cooperative program, and all the efforts of all of those agencies and institutions, of course, you know, beyond that, uh, Lifeway and Guidestone, which Lifeway is not funded by right. the cooperative program, but is a partnering agency with us. So the cooperative program is when we give our, our money, our resources to uh, the, the first the state, which goes to the national convention, and it's used by those agencies and institutions to do ministry beyond our local community that we could not do by ourselves. Yeah. And then you ask, why was it important for us? Well, there are a couple of things working. Uh, one is the best way 
to have a vision for reaching your local community is to get a vision for reaching the world. Yeah. It, it's been proven that if if your heart is for the nations, you'll actually be more evangelistic locally. If you genuinely catch a heart for the glory of God among the peoples of all the earth, then it causes you to look at your community differently. It was one of the ways that I we could emphasize here that the goal is not to make our church bigger. The, the goal is that God's kingdom would expand. Yeah, well, and yes, we want to evangelize here, yeah. but we want to care more about the kingdom of God, which is global, than we do about our little you know, lowercase k kingdom. We don't have one, but even mm-hmm. we want to call it that. And so let's care about God's kingdom and then pray that God would give us a heart here. So financially, it was just one of the ways that we could emphasize. Let's be part of what God is doing around the world. James, you mentioned the national conversation. Sometimes it's uh, it's a fairly harsh conversation. And I mean, I saw somebody on Twitter today. I glanced at it for a second, turned it off quickly. It was a lady somewhere saying that if you're in the SBC, you need to get out. And I'm thinking, I, she's probably not SBC herself. She probably has no idea who we are or how we do things that we, that we do. But sometimes those voices can be pretty loud, and they can be discouraging to pastors and to some church members. What do you say to that pastor or church member who has heard the bloggers or heard the Twitters and is questioning whether they should continue being part of the Southern Baptist Convention or their state convention or even our cooperative work? How would you try to frame a conversation with, with those individuals? So I may regret this, but what I would say to the person today is contact me and let's talk about it. Yeah. The best way to, to engage in that type of dialogue is actually to engage in a conversation. And I, I would want to hear what are the concerns. I think a lot of the concerns that are being propagated uh, are, are not always entirely true. Yeah. And I think they're often shaded. And so the, we have some legitimate, legitimate concerns. There are things that I hope as a convention we can address. Yep. I think there are there, there are problems and there are always issues. You you know this as well as anyone. There are always those things, these, these obstacles um, to accomplishing our, you know, our purpose together. So I'm not chased away by those. Actually, I, I think we have to lean into it. So the person who has them, I would say, let's talk about that. I want to hear from you. What is it that you think is the problem? And 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 then I think it's gonna take time. So there's nuance in that dialogue. And, and this is why this is where our culture is really hurting us. So culture doesn't value dialogue that's nuanced right now. Mm-hmm. Culture values uh, dialogue that's sharp yep. and usually very inarticulate. But the issues that we're facing require great contemplation. And so we just need to make a longer conversation. Yeah, I agree. And, and one of the things that folks who are not SBC – that they understand is our structure really allows for that. It's not always quick and, it, and it's, it's usually not knee jerk, but we have, and we really do have systems in place where there are trustees that you can talk to. Every agency and institution, every national entity has trustees that come right from the pews of the churches that fund their work. And we can talk to those trustees. We know who they are in Kentucky. And so anytime someone has a problem, uh, it's easy enough for us to start having those. And we know the entity heads. It's not that hard to get Dr. Moeller on the, you know, on a right. on a phone or Dr. Chitwood or Kevin Zell or uh, they're they're accessible to us and the churches fund their work. Yes. One of the problems with with uh, Southern Baptist life is it takes a long time to bring about substantive change yeah. because of the way the system works. If it were top down, you could make changes more quickly True. because if you flip the entity heads, you could immediately bring a widespread swift change. Yep. But because it's bottom up, it just takes longer. And that's actually a good thing, but it can be frustrating. Yeah. And so like you're saying, invest in it and then be patient. 
And and that, that this is leadership. This is pastoral leadership. If you want the church to be different, I don't try to tell it to be different today. Lead her to be something different, to value something else. The preaching of the word and, the, and prayer and investment in relationships, lead it. And that, that's how the SBC will continue. And you, know, you and I would agree, continue in a really good, strong trajectory that we've inherited, not without problems, but a good, strong one. And, and we want to continue that. And we've seen moments of self-correction. I mean, more than any denomination in the history of the church, as far as we know, the Southern Baptist Convention corrected herself in the 80s and 90s from theological liberalism. And, and it happened because these structures are in place. So it can be frustrating. But there's always going to be that tension because what holds us together is doctrinal alignment and missional cooperation. And the doctrinal alignment um, is diverse enough, but it can't be too diverse. Yeah. And we have to cooperate missionally. And so we've drawn some very clear boundaries doctrinally, but then there are some areas where we're willing to, we're willing to cooperate, even though we're cooperating with people who don't align with us 100%. And that's a tense space, particularly now, where everybody wants to draw a straight, dark line on every issue. And so it becomes a challenge for us. Well, it's a very helpful way that you've that you framed it. Um, I believe, and I know you agree, our, our six seminaries, our International Mission Board, our North American Mission Board, our ERLC, Godstone, uh, these these things that we've built together over the years are worth hanging on to, and they belong to the churches, and, and they can hang on to. It's a shame to see some folks just to completely abandon that and, and try something else. James, this uh, this podcast is called Leadership Lessons. And so is it, can you tell us about a time in your life, an experience, a story, something that happened to you or that you observed that affected or changed or, or cemented the way that you view leadership or approach it? I have so many stories, but I can't tell them all because I want to protect people and the, the innocent, I would say. But there were situations 12 and a half years ago when I got here to Parkway, um, situations that I felt needed leadership. And I'll tell you what's mo most impactful were not the times I led well, and there are a few of those, but it, were the it was the times that I didn't lead as well. Yeah. And then people were gracious and kind to both persevere with me, push back uh, gently and in love, but to push back. And it's from that learning you know, from my own leadership mistakes, I think, as, as much as anything. And people who were willing to persevere in that, bear with me in that, and then also help me see whether it was a blind spot or you know a way that I, I could have led more effectively. Yeah. So I won't, I won't give you examples specifically, you know, yeah. protect well, those folks, but there are a couple of those stories that have been very impactful to me. James, a good a good pastor will help a church grow in lots of different ways, uh, and a good church will help a pastor grow in lots Amen. of different ways as well. And so it seems like that's both of those are happening at at, uh, at Parkway in Bardstown. If folks want to get in, get in touch with you, uh, what's the easiest way to reach you? The best way would be email, and my email address is, is james at parkwaybaptist.com. So it's the surest way that I'll see it, and then. Uh, I'll be able to get it in a in a place where I'll respond to it, you know, catalog it well. James, thank you for your leadership in your home. I got to see your your wife and children yesterday. Thank you for your leadership in your community uh, at Parkway Baptist, in your association, and in your state convention. I look forward to serving with you in this this year ahead. And thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. I'm thankful for the opportunity, Dr. Gray. Always a pleasure to be with you, and I look forward to serving with you too. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the Cooperative Program. 
For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.